Now turning on the recorder so that we make sure that it actually gets started. Okay, uh, I just thought, thought I'd throw this out. I just thought it was uh, fascinating. We're trying to, because yeah, there was one other important event that happened this week. Uh, the world has a new pope, right? So if you're going to go to your, uh, going to watch the news, you can actually find out where he came from. Okay, he came from Argentina. <laughs> okay, if I spot the problem. Yeah, I know. What is, is that? Is that Ecuador? Is that Paraguay or something like that? Okay, but there's a town of Argentina, you know. So whoever was whoever was setting setting this up for uh, uh, Channel Five <laughs> wanted us to know where the new pope was from. I guess. Oh, we can't say it. we can't say enough for the teachers in our midst. You know, you guys are. This is what you're working with. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh, there's the. Uh, you know what? I hadn't even spotted that. Oh my gosh! Not only did we put the country in the wrong place, we moved an ocean halfway across the world. Oh man! Oh. All right. That's really funny. Okay. That's it then. Um, I think it's going to be interesting, uh, again, for those in the, the Plano State that have been part of kind of getting ready for Nauvoo, because now we are front and center in what happens in Nauvoo. And I wanted to, uh, Time and Seasons was the uh, newspaper uh, in Nauvoo, and uh, I, want you, I want to uh, read you something that uh, Joseph Smith was the ultimate editor of this, and so a lot of what come under editorial things, sometimes it could have been W.W. Phelps, but sometimes very clearly Joseph Smith. And, and here's part of what he said. The great designs of God in relation to the salvation of the human family are very little understood by the professedly wise and intelligent generation in which we live. The Muslim, the Muslims, Condemn the heathen, the Jew, the Christian, and the whole world of mankind that reject his Quran as infidels and consigns the whole of them to perdition. The Jew believes that the whole world rejects the, his faith and are not circumcised, or Gentile dogs, all will be damned. The heathen is equally as tenacious about his principles, and the Christian consigns all to perdition who cannot bow to his creed. And then I love this phrase. And submit to his... Ipse Dixit, the notion that I have said it, therefore it is true. You ever known anybody that lives by Ipse Dixit? It's true because I said it was. Really? Where did you get that from? You got it from me. I said it was true. That makes it true. You think that started with Eve? Maybe Eve was the originator of Ipsy Dixon. It's true because I said it was. 
that that's very possible. But while one portion of the human race is judging and condemning the other without mercy, the great parent of the universe looks upon the whole of the human family with fatherly care and paternal regard. He views them as his offspring. And without any of those contracted feelings that influence the children of men, causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. He holds the reins of judgment in his hand. He is the wise lawgiver and will judge all men. Not according to the narrow contracted notions of men, but according to the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or evil, whether these deeds were done in England, America, Spain, Turkey, or India. Isn't that great? To get, kind of get this sense that sometimes we can be so narrow in our, in our thinking and you just get this wise, loving Heavenly Father who just loves equally. And those, and I think, then he goes on to say, He will judge them, not according to what they have not, but according to what they have. Those who have lived without law will be judged without law. Those who have a law will be judged by that law. We need not doubt the wisdom and intelligence of the great Jehovah. He will reward judgment or mercy to all nations according to their several deserts. That's why it is, and as we get into this, uh, the, the whole topic of baptism for the dead and all of that and the salvation for the dead occupied his mind like nothing else in the last few years of his life. And he just focused on it, laser light. And it's going to give us some idea about what we need to be able to do as well. So, any comments on that? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So the opposite, that you are all saved. And I don't know why we're not out there shouting this from Well, which is funny because then when, again, we start talking about baptisms for the dead, it's like, well, you're just wanting everybody to be, you know, a Mormon heaven and, you know, and just trying to turn everybody into Mormons. That's sort of true. <laughs> but it sounds so narrow-minded in the sense that, you know, we're trying to let the captives out of prison, dang it. There's some things that we're about. And we're not, we're not getting Okay? And what we're going to talk about, I'm going to talk a little more uh, as we, in this class, but this is, this is what he called the summum bono. This is everything together. This is the pinnacle of everything Joseph taught. And this is why it occupied his mind. Okay? All right. That said, um, I want to, let's talk for just a second. I want to hop over before we get into sections 127 and 128. Uh, oh, but before, before we go there, let, let me just show you something real quickly. Um, I really kind of messed the schedule up in a massive way. I just want to kind of give you a heads up how badly I've messed it up. Uh, today was going to be 125 and 126, which really consisted of about seven or eight verses, and I just went, no. Uh, so today we're doing uh, section 127 and 128. I know. And then next week will be like 129, 130, 131. Uh, the week after that should be fun. That will be one section 132 and polygamy. <sighs> uh, 
And then we're going to get 133, and then we'll kind of go down there. My guess is by the time, so really May 13th, May 13th is uh, the oral final and the, uh, and the killer buffet. Uh, it will also be a chance to kind of any questions that you've got that you want to bring forward to that because we'll, we'll probably have been wrapped up on our uh, sections by Okay, so that gives you an idea. It gives you an idea how close we are to the end of the semester and the, and the, the end of the Doctrine and Covenants, really, in terms of our study. And again, I think we're looking in, uh, in September of starting with uh, the Old Testament. So, if you're trying, if you're if you're following along at home, um, you're going to be fairly lost, <laughs> and we're just kind of messing with it on the, as we go. Uh, and then, just a reminder too: on Tuesday nights, we're repeating uh, this class here, uh, in case anybody's missing it. So. All right. Whoops. Whoops. Okay. So. Uh, DNC 58, 2 through 4. If I've got it here. Nope, I don't. you, blessed is he that keepeth my commandments, whether in life or in death, and he that is faithful in tribulation, the reward of the, of the same is greater in the kingdom of heaven. You cannot behold with your natural eyes for the present time the design of your God concerning those things which shall come hereafter, and the glory which shall follow after much tribulation. Now, tribulation is an interesting word, and we're about to run into it in a, in a lot in section 127 128. Uh, it's important that we understand what he, what he means kind of by tribulation. We talk about affliction and things that happen to us. Uh, tribulation seems to have, as I was researching it through the Old Testament, it seems to have a different connotation. You need to kind of think of it in, this, in these terms. Tribulation is an is a gross unfairness. It is a it is a captivity. Tribulation is what happens when you're hauled off. What happened to the Jews when they were hauled off by the Assyrians, the Babylonians? That's tribulation. Something has come upon you that is really kind of not your fault. They were the Jews were captivated because it wasn't their fault. Yeah. The, 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 the vast amount of people it was. The, the church leaders it was. So in other words, you kind of got the, wit, the wickedness of the elders. But the vast amount of people were being taught and trained underneath by this. So, so it's like everybody, it's like, it's like the, the kids. When we talk about, for instance, if, uh, if you had an alcoholic in your family, and, and the, that alcoholism affects families in the second and third and fourth generations. You just watch it trickle down from an original sin kind of thing. And so for the, for the children of Israel, you had elders and leaders that were going astray, but they took all the people with them. You had the wicked kings that would take people with them. 
But so again, when we're talking about tribulation, we're talking about unfairness and captivity that you can't get out of on your own. Okay? Let's put a, so, so let me ask you this. Um, Blessed is he that keepeth my commandments, whether in life or in death. He that is faithful in tribulation, the reward of the same is greater in the kingdom of heaven. That almost seems... You know, if I, by fortune, I've lived a good life and I didn't have as much tribulation, that's not fair either, is it? <laughs> yeah. So maybe if I want a greater share, maybe I should hope for tribulation because maybe that would be better than an easy life. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Right. I just think some of the greatest people I know right. have had really hard Yeah. Because, not just because of white knuckled endurance, right. but they just made it through it, because they have learned so much along the way that's made them, it's the stuff that's exaltation is really made up. Sure. So then, should we be praying for tribulation so that we can have the greater. No, but we should be praying. See, here's where, here's where the back side of that is. And that's why this ends up being, we've talked about this before. That is that if I am, if I'm going through tribulation, sometimes our, our, our uh, common sense will walk us to this place, right? I'm going through tribulation so that I can learn the lesson. And I will go, and I will keep staying tribulation until I learn the lesson. And because the tribulation is ongoing, I haven't learned the lesson yet. Therefore, the tribulation is my fault. Because if I just learn it, it'll stop. I haven't, obviously, I haven't learned what I'm supposed to learn, therefore it keeps on going. Then it's discouraging. I, you know, the, the reason I'm having tribulations, I'm too stupid to figure out what it is God wants me to know. That's, see, that's why, or on top of this, we say, but it's not fair. The tribulation I'm having is not fair. And of course, we had, what had, and moms, how do you answer when your teens come to you and go, it's not fair? Life ain't fair. Okay, we got that one, right? We're pretty fast with the life ain't fair thing until it happens to us. And then, why is this happening to me? That's not fair. Oh, wait a minute, life isn't fair. I get that, but it's not fair. Oh, maybe it's a matter of tribulation. Oh, okay. But I'm not learning what I'm supposed to learn, so it's my fault. See, all roads end to us screwing up and we're blaming ourselves for the tribulation. I think we all have to learn to endure and pursue, persist to the end of the tribulation. It helps us to do that because there's an element of ongoing with tribulation. Ah, okay. So she's saying that we have to learn how to endure the tribulation... And this is what part of that preparation that makes us stronger. What what doesn't kill us, you know, makes us stronger. I was gonna say we have tribulation to remind us that we're not as good as we think we are. Does sometimes tribulation remind us we're not as good? That we need to keep trying 
that we need to stay humble. That's why the Apostle Paul in you know, 2 Corinthians 12 is talking about, therefore, I will glory in my infirmities. Because when when I am street, when I am weak, therefore I am strong, because I recognize where my strength comes from. Okay? I, I think there's some merit in learning from others No. There is merit to learning from others as long as we learn it. Because that's, that's the purpose of some, why, why we study history and, and, and study church history, get over there and recognize what they went through. But if we're going to be prideful, then we're going to say, dang it, I'm going to do it myself. I don't want to learn. That's why I love our teens. It's like, I, I know that you guys did that when I can't believe you were ever young, but okay. But I'm still going to do it my way. And then they put themselves in, in tribulation's way. Yeah. Could it be said that tribulation is a form of a temple? Wow. Well, if you again been in Liberty Jail, tribulation a temple? Uh, boy, I think so. That's a good way to put it. One thing I've heard is to stop looking at it as like good experiences and bad experiences, and just consider experience, which is what we came here to get. Okay. Experience. Now let me, but let let me mention one other area where I think this becomes really important. And it sounds like I'm scripture chaining a little bit. I've, I've now gone to uh, section 127, but I want you to look for just a second in Matthew 13, 20, and 21. This one, th- here's one we know, but maybe you haven't necessarily looked at it this way, because this is like who's going to suffer tribulation and what effect does tribulation have on us? This is certainly going to be true when we talk about the saints in Nauvoo. 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. Uh, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. Okay? There's one group. He that receiveth the seed... In a stony in stony places. Remember the sower's going along and he's throwing out, and some of the seeds landed in stony places. Uh, the same as he that receiveth the word and anon and with great joy receiveth it, yet hath he not root in himself, endureth it for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth, therefore of the word by and by he is a thing. Okay. Somebody say that in different words. There are those that receive the word, the gospel, and receive it with with great joy, great excitement. But the but the seed is landed where? In a stony ground. Which means the testimony is about an inch deep. Pretty thin. Okay? But there's great excitement, great joy. Yet he hath not root in himself, but endureth for a while, for when tribulation cometh, 
then he is offended. Okay? Uh, the other view that we have of this, because it's a parallel, there's a parallel parable that we have in the Book of Mormon. In 1 Nephi 8, we get the tree of life. Remember that some people that find their way to the tree, they taste the fruit, it's good, and then there's voices coming from the great and spacious building, and what do they do? They're offended. That's that's the, that is the same. It's the same one. The people that for whom the, the seed falls on stony ground, and and the, the testimony just isn't very deep. And tribulation is one of those times when you find out what what you're made of, how deep your testimony runs, how deep is the well that you can draw on, how much oil is in your land. It does. Well, and like we're talking about Abraham, we're talking about the fact that why would the Lord test Abraham and run him through what he did? Did the Lord not know who Abraham was? No, he's one of the noble and great ones. Why would he have him sacrifice Isaac? As we've talked about before. So he would so he would know. I believe that tribulation is one of those times that you find out who you are and begin to have greater confidence in your knowledge, in your understanding, in your testimony. That's when you've got to really reach down deep and say, do I really believe what I say I believe? Yes. But see, that, but we do turn to the Lord. But I, that's what I'm saying. I think that's the moment when we say, I've always believed in God. I've always believed in the Heavenly Father. Do I really believe Him? Do I really trust that He loves me enough to help me? Do I really believe He answers prayers? Do I? Really? Now, when things are good, okay. But when I'm under tribulation, not just adversity, but un gross unfairness, do I believe that? In the, in the church, you know, converts come in and have a strong testimony. But again, like their roots are not deep. And somebody says something to them to offend them. Yes. So many of our converts leave because they were offended. Yeah, when I was on my mission, we called them shooting stars. You know, they would come into the church with excitement and joy, and they'd be gone like three weeks later. And the first time it began to be tough, and, and that's when we started to fear to say, okay, they got excited about a new organization, but think about how many converts now get excited about the church, and then they want to then they want to go on Google and thumb them and look up Mormon and start getting adversity and the question is how deep does the testimony run? I really believe the church is true until the Relief Society presidency said something mean about my son about my son or daughter then I'm not sure or the bishop didn't follow up as quickly on or and it's unfair yes it's unfair now how deep is my testimony? That's right. And it's that why me? Because I'm a good person. I'm trying to do all the right stuff. I pay my tithing, dang it. How come? And then we run up against this stuff. And that's the moment that we know. I've got a question. 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 I've got a
Yeah. How did I do it? Okay. With that in mind, that, now that is the backdrop. Think about tribulation and all that. Um, if there's anybody who understood tribulation, it would have been Prophet Joseph. Uh, by way of background, uh, what happens is life is uh, going along in Nauvoo. We've just gone through the spring and the summer where all these what Here comes the principle on baptism for the dead, uh, the establishment of the, the endowment. First endowments are being given. Life is wonderful. And then somebody takes a pot shot at Lilburn W. Boggs, the governor of Missouri. And through the front window, somebody hit him with buckshot. Got about uh, uh, four balls in the head. Uh, thought he was going to die. Uh, he didn't go. Uh, <laughs> and and the blame was immediately cast on Joseph Smith and on uh, Porter Rockwell, who was living there. And I, I've mentioned before that Porter. Someone asked Porter about that. And they said, uh, did you shoot Boggs? And he said, no, he's still alive. <laughs> but, but he would spend a year in prison, a year in jail, before they finally release him and say, no, we don't have enough evidence. Uh, uh, and then he would show up in Nauvoo on Christmas Eve, looking like an incredible vagabond, just knocking on the mansion house door. Say I'm back. Um, all right. So, so that that done, a, a, a warrant is issued for his arrest and extra, extradition back to Missouri. Joseph now has to go into hiding, and he, there's two places that he's going to hide. Uh, we're going to talk about one of them now, and, and this is over a month span. This is September uh, 1842. Uh, there's two places he's going to hide. He's going to get a revelation in each one of these. 127. In this first place, 128 uh, in the next place. 127. Um, he writes this letter to the church. For as much as the Lord has revealed unto me that my enemies in Missouri and this state were again in pursuit of me, they pursue me without a cause. I'm, I'm innocent. Have not the least shadow or coloring of justice, insomuch as their pretenses are founded on falsehood of the blackest dye. I have thought it expedient and wisdom in me that I should leave the place for a short season for my own safety and the safety of this people. I have left my affairs with agent, clerks, and transactions, all business in a prompt and proper manner. What he did is that he snuck out in the middle of the night. Uh, he went to uh, Joseph. Joseph went to uh, John Taylor's. Um, yeah. John Taylor's uh, father's house. He was up the river on the, on the, the, the land farm about 20 miles outside north of, of Nauvoo. Okay? And, and uh, there and John Taylor's younger brother, William, uh, and they will go up there and spend time. Uh, William Taylor will say, in fact, let me, let me pull this up on. Here's what he says. The four, Joseph... Uh, uh, Brother Clayton and a couple of others, 
The four stayed at our house a few days, and then the prophet sent the other three back to Nauvoo to see if anything was going on in that place. In a few days, they returned. During their absence, this is when he received section 127. During their absence, the prophet and I spent most of our time in the, during the day in the woods near our house at the Henderson Bottom, walking around, shooting squirrels sometimes, and doing anything we could to amuse ourselves. Here's a 19-year-old boy getting to hang out in the woods shooting squirrels with a prophet. <laughs> Nobody else is around. Uh, I was the prophet's only companion in these tramps through the woods, and I've often thought it strange that there were, there were many other people in that part of the country. We never met anyone while we were out. During the stay of Brother Joseph at my father's, Brother William Clayton came to see him reported the revelations that the prophet had at this time, took section 127 back to him. And some were the grandest that were given to him. So he, he's, he's a little mistaken on this one. He says section 128. And that, that will actually be in our next place. Section 128. Every word of this divine revelation is full of doctrine and, and completeness of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, so get that Joseph is in hiding up there while they're trying to work out extradition uh, orders. And here's his response. And as for the perils which I am called to pass through, they seem but a small thing to me, as the envy and wrath of man have been my common lot all the days of my life. From the day that he walked out of the, of the, after the first vision, it started. For what it seems mysterious, unless I was ordained, the only way I can understand this, I was ordained from before the foundation of the world for some good, in or bad, as you may call it. Judge for yourself. God knoweth all these things, whether it is good or bad. But nevertheless, this was his mantra, deep water is what I want. It has become second nature to me, I feel like Paul, to glory in tribulation and unfairness. For to this day has the God of my fathers delivered me out of them all and will deliver me from henceforth. Now, I want to do just a little bit of a side note on this because I think looking at Joseph going through tribulation and then taking a look at our own tribulations that we go through, I think there's an important point here that needs to be made. Because we are surrounded by people that we love going through tribulation. They're going through mourning. They're going, they need to be comforted. And the question that I have is, how do we comfort? How do you go about comforting somebody? Ah. Uh-huh. Now, let me give you an example. And, I, and I've removed the name here. A well-intentioned effort by a general authority uh, to, in a talk to try and comfort those that need comforting. I assure you that the waters in which we are wont to swim in are but little puddles when compared with the deep waters of opposition in which the prophet Joseph and others swam. This is what I call, it could be worse, so don't hurt anymore. Does it help much if, you're, if, you've, lost, uh, if you've lost somebody for someone to come along and say, 
uh, I've lost three people. <laughs> you go, oh, okay, well then I guess I'm not really allowed to mourn very much because you lost more than me. Or I'm sorry that you have I'm sorry that you have cancer. I know somebody that's had cancer four times. <laughs> oh, okay, now I feel much better. Thank you. Beautiful. Yeah, it's a little bit like saying, you know, when, when somebody passes and they're young, you say, well, just call them a mission to the other side. <laughs> yes, but I'm hurting. And that isn't really, and for all the well-intentionedness of that, it doesn't help, does it? And, we can, and that's why we can say, well, look at, I realize that homework is really hard for you, but think about the, the hand card. <laughs> So therefore, you are not allowed, there's a trump. To, you know, however bad it is, if I find somebody in trump, it's my attempt for you to not feel so bad, but it doesn't work. And so the question is, how do we comfort those that need comfort? Because that would be dangerous, yeah. Yes. You guys do better as men. I know. We, we, we turtle up. We go disappear somewhere, and, and you guys tend to talk. And that makes a big difference. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Let let me. Some of you. Some of you have seen this before. Yeah. What? to say, I'm going to try and help you not, I'm going to try and stop you kind of in your hurting. It's well-intentioned, but it, but it doesn't really help. Yeah. I know for me, at this point, people that I've stuff that you're going through, yeah.
Because sometimes we don't know how to deal with those that are hurting. We're going to say the wrong thing, so, so we withdraw our presence at the time when they really need it. Okay. So, so with that, some of you have seen this, this before. I, was, I kind of rely on, this is a Christian group, the, the skit guys. Uh, but, but I think this is particularly poignant when, we, when we're talking about this. Sit in the morning booth any longer. We 
when, when an unfairness has happened to us and it's tribulation, where does our mind want to go? In a way to beat ourselves up. This happened because it was my fault. And, the only, and now you really only have two places to go. Either this has happened and it was my fault. Well, there's three places. This happened and it was my fault. This happened and I was trying to be good. And this is really unfair because I'm going through this. And somebody's, or God somehow hates me uh, because of my unworthiness. Or because he really wants me to learn a lesson. So he deliberately set up this tribulation. So I would learn that specific lesson because I wasn't learning it anywhere else. That's when I think the comfort of drawing close to one another is so vital. And Joseph, watching him go through this process, he was such a social person to have to keep leaving his family. He ended up at the at the uh, this house, the Edward Edward Hunter home, because he was right in the middle of eating with his family, and a knock comes on the door. Uh, here's more marshals coming to try and haul him off to Missouri. It was his belief that once he got across the river that they wouldn't even wait to get him back to independence, that he'd be dead before they could ever get him there. So he is a life and death situation to not go with these marshals. But that also meant they're, the, they're in the mansion house having dinner. Here comes the knock and he's got to get up and run at night through the cane breaks, uh, the fields and everything. And he will arrive at uh, the Edward Hunter home. Uh, the Edward, Edward Hunter home is interesting. This is Ben uh, Nambu. Uh, you're, you're looking straight out of the river and you come down the rise from there. Uh, directly down from the temple was the grove. It's no longer completely there. There's some trees, but the main grove is, is no longer gone. It's where this big grassy area is now. Um, the Hunter home used to be just to the left of that, down the hill to the left. It's no longer there, but it had a uh, it had a small attic, it, not big enough to even stand up in, for and where where he hid for two weeks. Now you have to keep in mind that for Joseph, he is within shouting distance of his house. He can look out through the window and see the grove. So if they're holding meetings, which was really the tabernacle at the time, was the grove, he could see meetings going on in the grove through a small window. And if he looked right, he could look up the hill, see the temple, and perhaps at that point see the crowning of the little shack that was sitting in, in the unfinished temple where they were now doing baptisms for the dead. So he can hear his friends, he shouted this at home. He can see the temple, and he can't get access to any of it. Because if he's afraid, if he steps out onto the street, the marshals are going to get him and take him back to Missouri. Without a warrant. With an unjust warrant. So, you want this tribulation, this unfairness is hitting him. And that's why, to me, when we get to section 128, 128 in my mind, maybe the most powerful set of verses in all of the Doctrine of Ethics. It is magnificent if you will see and take a close look at what it is. And it is the pinnacle of, of what Joseph taught. 
but it was revealed to him in an attic. Separated from friends with an inability to even get to them though he could see them and hear them coming up. And, and in Joseph's natural personality to be separated from his friends was the toughest thing of So, in order to kind of take a look at this, let's, let's now go to section 128. And there's a couple of things that stand out in section 128 uh, that I want to first get to. Again, look at, look at verse 11. The great and grand secret of the whole matter and the sum and bonum of the whole subject is lying before us, consists in obtaining the powers of the holy priesthood for him to whom these keys are given, there is no difficulty in obtaining a knowledge of facts in relation to the salvation of the dead, as well for the dead as for, for the living. Okay? Now. And then we, we, we talked about these next two verses uh, last week. He talks about how critical the baptismal font is. This, therefore, is the sealing and binding power. In one sense of the word, the keys of the kingdom, which consist in the key of knowledge. And now, my beloved brethren and sisters, let me assure you that these principles in relation to the dead and the living that cannot be lightly passed over as pertaining to what? Our salvation. Here comes the final piece, I believe. Because if we take a step back, look at, look at how the church was, was slowly established. When Joseph was first... Um, all he, did, all he really wanted to know was how to have my sins remitted, right? So he's going to go into the, into the woods and he's, going to, and he's going to get a vision. Here is the, the father and the son and, that, and that's amazing to him. There's a work to come. Then after that he's going to find that, that there's a book that needs to be translated. Here comes the foundation. After that, what's the next thing he needs to do? Establish a church. Soon as the, the soon as the book is translated and printed, now we'll build a church. Now is he done yet? No. Now the next thing is is that we need to gather. So not only are there branches all over the place, but now we need to gather to one place. Okay. So now we gather to one place, and we find out why we have to gather to one place. Why? Be For one thing, we're going to be persecuted. Yeah, we got to pull together. Okay, get behind the, the walls of the castle kind of thing. We got to pull together to build a temple, which is the pre, which comes out of the whole sense of Zion. We need to come together and build a Zion society. Oh wait a minute, where's Zion? Oh, it's in Missouri. Whoa! So now there's a millennium cup and a New Jerusalem, and it's going to be there. And what needs to be in the middle of that New Jerusalem? Oh, temple. Oh, so now that we're together, now we've got to build a temple. Here comes the next layer to this. Now we need to build a temple. What's going to go on in the temple? 
Ooh, Kirkland. There's some washings going on here. Where there's some cleansing going on. There's instruction. And most importantly, there are... The, the main reason the Kirtland Temple was built was the keys. We need to have a place that the keys can be... So here's Moses and Abraham and <coughs> Elijah, Elias. These guys are all coming. They're bringing keys. Now we have the keys. To do what? So now we have the sealing power. We're not quite sure. And that means that now coming out of this whole experience is the possibility that husbands and wives can be sealed together for eternity. There's another layer that all of this goes on. Okay? Is it done yet? So here comes... That's why this is now the crowning moment of what Joseph was trying to attain to. And now he begins to pull all of this stuff together that's been happening since the church was organized. And it's going to be... This cannot... Verse 15. Cannot be lightly passed over as pertaining to our salvation. For their salvation... Who's? The dead... Their salvation is necessary and essential to our salvation. Now's the link. This is what Moroni was trying to tell him the very first time he saw him in the upstairs of that house and tell him where the Book of Mormon was. That the time is not far distant. That the priest, I will reveal unto you the priesthood, and the hearts of the children will be turned to the hearts of the Father. And the promises of the fathers will be made known to the children. Here it comes. That was that was like 1827. Now here we are, 1842. Here it is. Their salvation is necessary and essential to our salvation. As Paul says concerning the fathers, that they without us cannot be made perfect. Why? Why can they not be perfect without us? What? They need the ordinances that only we can provide on earth. They are dependent on us for their salvation. They understood that when the Baptism for the dead suddenly opened up that whole vista of, oh my gosh, we are now responsible to make sure that they get the gospel. Yeah. Yes. Which then explains the next line. Because it, that, that, that's why I say this is the final piece to me. They cannot be made perfect without us. We supply the ordinances and the salvation necessary for them to receive exaltation. They cannot do it on their own. We become saviors on Mount Zion. How beautiful are the feet of those that publish peace. That's you. That's, that's the youth that stood in the Nauvoo Temple last week and did that work. The names that they've researched. But then look at the next line. 
And neither can we without our dead be made perfect. Why? I get that we're saving them. How are they saving us? Why can we not be perfected without perfecting them? We talk, you want to talk about being perfect? Am I perfect yet? I don't know. Have you saved your dad? If not, you may. Why? I understand that we are linked to our ancestors back And if we're not connected, we aren't saved. Now, there is an element to here I profess I don't understand. And even in Joseph, Joseph explains that it needs to happen. He doesn't always explain why. That there's something in this process that says if we are not doing this, if, the, if, we, if, we, don't, if we have not done their work, it jeopardizes ours. And I don't believe it's just because we failed to keep a commandment. It's something that they're, they're, uh, it's that link somehow that the blessings are coming through one family and that we will miss out on that. We're cutting our own throats in essence if we're not saving our dead. And again, we're walking, and but but that that service that we're providing, we're reaching out through the generations to do that. But they are then saving us. Does that make some sense? Don't mind me. Does that make some sense? In the process of doing the work, what does that do for us? It's the moment that we understand the atonement the best because we are doing something for somebody else. And maybe that's the moment where we finally understand how the Savior works and how the atonement works because we're doing something for them that they can't do for themselves, but now He's doing something for us that we can't do for us. And even on a smaller scale, when you go out and do service to help somebody, how much of your turn to help you? Yeah. Now, can you imagine this? Everybody getting back to Adam like it's supposed to be. That's what we have for house things coming up. It's going to be all We're going to need all that time? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I understand this too, but I think part of the answer might lie in verse 18. I don't know if I'm done yet, but it talks about not just people and families, but to be perfect is to be complete. Yes. Yeah, now because in, in 18 he's going to tell you that there are three groups you need to pay attention to. I've got it in green. For we without them cannot be made perfect. Neither can they without us be made perfect. There's two. Here's the third. Neither can they nor we be made perfect without those who have died in the gospel also. So when we, when, when we do that work, for those that have passed on, they join an eternal fellowship of those that accepted the gospel, those who didn't, doesn't matter. 
Once they've now received the gospel, the parable of the vineyard, those that come late to work in the vineyard get the same blessing as those that come early. And we're responsible. Because we got the temples. It's on our shoulders. Think about the baptismal font now when you really get the idea of those oxen and the font on our, on our backs. That's us having to carry it to the four cardinal directions. Now, that's why I think we just get this slow rolling. If you, and just picture this thing building in crescendo. Um, Brother Wilcox, Michael Wilcox, has put it this way. In September 1842, the prophet Joseph Smith was hiding in the house of the Edward Hunter home. It was a cramped quarters that Joseph penned the most majestic hymn of praise of the restoration. I believe that's true. I agree with him completely. Perhaps you have been to a symphony and listened to a piece of music that begins with a single clear note played by a violin or a flute. The single instrument holds center stage for a time. And then slowly, sometimes almost imperceptibly, is joined by other instruments. As the piece continues, the music swells as more and more instruments join until all are playing and the whole hall is filled with the beauty of sound. This is the structure of Joseph Smith's Hymn of Praise. It's the last half of section 128. Only it is a hymn, not a voice or song or note of violin, but words played upon the soul and recorded in the scriptures. Joseph's hymn begins with a single voice, a voice of gladness. Listen to the words and see if you can hear the other voices. Join in. So here's, here's the closest I could kind of find to, to that and, and see what you think of this. Oops.
All right. That, that I think, musically is the gospel. It just has started slow. You're watching it build. You're watching it crescendo. So section 128, Joseph's hymn of praise, encapsulates that. And it begins on verse 19. With the, with the, with the first little drum beat here. Now what do we hear in the gospel which we have received? A voice of gladness, a voice of mercy from heaven, a voice of truth out of the earth. And just watch, watch how he builds this. Um, a voice of gladness for the living and the dead. Great tidings of, glad tidings of great joy. How beautiful. Upon the mountains of the feet of those that bring glad tidings. That saith thy God reigneth as the dews of Carmel. Uh, so shall the knowledge of God descend upon them. What do we hear? Add more, no- more uh, instruments. What do we hear? Glad tidings from Camorah, Moroni, an angel from heaven, declaring the fulfillment of book to be revealed. A voice of the Lord in the wilderness of Fayette, declaring the three witnesses to bear record of the book. Another voice, the voice of Michael on the banks of the Susquehanna detecting the devil when he appeared as the angel of light. We have no knowledge of that event. But here it is. It's part of the symphony. One day we'll get to know the rest of that. The voice of Peter, James, and John in the wilderness between Harmony and Colesville on the Susquehanna declaring themselves possessing the keys of the kingdom. Another voice, more instruments. The voice of God. In the chamber of old Father Whitmer, Fayette, Seneca County. Sundry times. Another voice. The voice of Michael, the archangel. The voice of Gabriel. The voice of Raphael. We have no idea who Raphael was. Uh, to make an argument that he was Enoch. Uh, he's the only possessor of keys that we don't have a record of showing up. Uh, Raphael of diverse angels from Michael or Adam down to the present time. All declaring... Their dispensation, their rights, their kings, their honors, uh, their, their majesty and glory, the power of their priesthood, giving the, the building, giving line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, giving us consolation, here's one way you comfort, giving us consolation by holding forth that which is to come, confirming our hope. Now, here was the inspiration flowing to him to the church, but I also think this was confirming to a prophet cramped in an attic, his friends not too far away. Brethren, shall we not go on in so great a cause? Go forward and not backward. Courage, brethren, and on, on to the victory. Let your hearts rejoice and be exceeding glad. Let the earth, here's a building. Let the earth break forth into singing. Let the dead, all those on the, outside the earth, the dead speak forth anthems of eternal praise to the King Emmanuel, who hath ordained before the world was that which would enable us to redeem them out of their prison. For the prisoners shall go free. Let the mountains shout for joy. All the valleys cry aloud, all ye seas and dry lands, tell the wonders of your eternal King. And ye rivers and brooks and rills flowing down with gladness, let the woods and all the trees of the field praise the Lord. And ye solid rocks weep 
for joy. Let the sun, even farther out now, let the sun, moon, and, and morning stars sing together and let the sons of God shout for joy and let the eternal creations, everything all the way out, declaring His name forever and ever. And I say unto you how glorious is the voice we heard, we hear from heaven, proclaiming in our ears glory and salvation and honor and immortality and eternal life, kingdoms, principalities, and powers. Joseph never penned more prophetic, powerful prose ever. And you just get that, that building starting with the drum and it just goes and you just watch it expanding out. And I think Joseph was giving us some glimpse of how that majesty of that power fills the eternities. We're going kind to of, kind of end there. A couple of other points in there. You can look at the last uh, couple of them. Brothers and sisters, I bear you my testimony that it's fascinating to me that the, so much of our baptism for the dead are being done by the youth. And it's interesting that that ordinance, baptism for the dead, is on parallel with the sacrament. The two most sacred things we do with all the eternal ramifications of those two things and we lay it on in the hands of our youth. We have no conception of what a magnificent ordinance was blessed in this church and the responsibility that comes to us to carry this. And you only need to read through Joseph's anthem here to just kind of get a sense, an inkling, of how powerful this thing is and how and Joseph's vision of what it would mean to the eternities. And ultimately what it would mean to our salvation. We will save ourselves and our dead by virtue of this blessing and the powers granted to us. I pray that moments will catch that glimpse and that it will drive us forward in everything we do. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank <laughs> you.